God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And I'm joined by Leonor Kavoda. Hello, Leonor. Good morning, Scott. Man, we have a packed show today. We and are two loaded. Two days till Christmas. Yeah, and we're going to have Brent Hemacek on at the bottom of the hour uh, to talk about uh, the, what the president had to say yesterday. Uh, also, we're going to be talking about this stimulus pack package um, that uh, turned out it was $600. It's $600 stimulus package. Um, and it gave money to everything and every place and everybody. Well, except uh, it didn't give money to rest, struggling restaurants. It gave money to, I think, study transgenderism in Pakistan or something. It, it also gave money to Maduro uh, over in Venezuela. Right. It gave money to the weirdest places and the oddest things that you could imagine. You can't even imagine what they must have been thinking. But President Trump said $600, you know, is not enough. And Rand Paul is coming out, and we're going to listen to Rand Paul here speak in a minute uh, as well. And he said, you know, we are not a nation where we receive handouts. What we need is for the government to figure out the problem and get out of our way and let us go to work. Yeah. You know, we, we don't want a handout. What we want is to go back to work and get our lives back. Yeah. And all this hypocrisy that's going on with this uh, this um, governor in some southern state was having a Zoom meeting and was called out on a, you know, a hypocrisy charge where she was saying, stay home, stay in, don't visit family. And what are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to visit family. Right. Well, that's it. It's it's uh, for me, but not for thee. You know, that's the philosophy. And, and we and again, we can't live like that. And, you know, we ha- we have to take back our power as citizens. So there's a lot happening today in Arizona, for example, breaking. Uh, it says Rudy Giuliani drops a bomb on the war room. Uh, and he says that Arizona lawmakers will likely vote Wednesday to certify President Trump as winner. Of their election. The election was reported uh, via Palmieri report. President Trump's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, joined Steve Bannon's War Room Pandemic podcast this morning 
During the interview, Giuliani said the legislature will attempt to pass a resolution tomorrow to certify President Trump as the winner. News spread like wildfire yesterday that Arizona lawmakers would make the attempt to declare Trump a winner today, but Giuliani said Arizona lawmakers did not have the votes today to make that happen. Giuliani said he's hopeful Arizona lawmakers will be able to close the deal before Christmas. Arizona was going to a similarly, going to similarly pass a joint session to certify Trump, but then they didn't have the votes, but they are going to come back tomorrow. That was written yesterday. So we're, we're going to be looking at that today. There, today also marks the special day, December 23rd, where we have this thing called the Pence card. And uh, tomorrow we're scheduled to have uh, Racklin on, uh, who has been talking a lot about this. There's been a lot of write-up in the national file about this, this uh, thing called the Trump, uh, the Trump uh, Pence card. Will Trump play the Pence card a threat? A thread explaining the simplest, most direct constitutional path to four more years for Donald Trump. And what we want to do is put together, um, there's a lot of write-ups about this. Um, and there's one in the, the uh, Gateway Pundit. Some experts believe that Vice President Mike Pence has the duty tomorrow to throw out Electoral College recommendations in the 2020 election that are based on fraud. This will then force these states to have their legislatures choose the set of delegates they believe will best represent the state's election results. So Yvonne Racklin has studied the Constitution and found some absolutely fascinating information. He is reporting that a peaceful uh, and constitutionally, or it could be Ivan Racklin, I don't want to get that wrong. I think it's Ivan. Yeah. Uh, And constitutionally lawful resolution to the situation we are in is at state is at hand and may begin tomorrow. So so basically what happens is this. Today is the deadline for Pence to look at these uh, electorates that have been certified by the states and sent forward. And he could basically say today, being the deadline, uh, that we are going to reject these uh, electors, these certifications that your state, your secretary of state, your attorney general, your governor uh, uh, has signed off on and certified. And we're going to reject them because we feel that there's fraud. We've seen enough fraud. We know that there's dueling electors. We know that these these contests are in dispute. And we're going to reject them for now. And uh, you're going to have to go and work this out with your state. We need more information because a lot of new information has come to light since the 14th. Uh, when these things were ratified and certified. So since the 14th, we've learned a lot. And we feel like these are uh, tarnished. So go back, figure it out with your state legislature, and send us uh, something between now and June and January 6th. And that's what's, that's what's in play. So, for example, Pence could literally push back all seven states that had dueling electors, uh, New Mexico, Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, and then Wisconsin, mm-hmm. uh, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. See, that's four and three and seven. So that's seven states right there. Now, we have also today, uh, we're going to be finding out the results of the, uh, the signature verification 
in Cobb County, and uh, they're also pushing for something in Fulton County, but they're blocking it. And uh, so, you know, you don't know exactly what's going on, but President Trump just tweeted out a video of Ruby, uh, this woman, Ruby, uh, down in Georgia and Fulton uh, County, where she was sending the ballots. She's on videotape taking a stack of ballots and putting them through multiple times in the middle of the night while the Republicans, after the Republicans were asked to leave. Tell me Justice Thomas doesn't have any kind of say in what's going on there because he's overseeing that state. Or how about Justice Alito in Pennsylvania? So we have a lot of various things we can look at. Uh, A vote in Arizona, uh, contested um, litigation in Nevada. Uh, We have a Supreme Court docketing uh, of the Wisconsin case because the Wisconsin Supreme Court went four to three with really strong dissents in that three uh, with the three judges. Uh, So you have Wisconsin, you have Georgia with the fraud that's on camera, and then you have Alito basically already weighing in and hedging his bets that everything that happened after the third could be unconstitutional. So there's several ways that these things can be contested constitutionally. Several paths to victory. Yeah, and one of them is uh, that um, it's unconstitutional to be changing the rules of the game during the middle of an election. That's number one. So that's number two. Uh, there there could very well be that, uh, did I say January 3rd? I meant November 3rd. November 3rd. November 3rd was the election day. It's supposed to be one day. In the Constitution, it's supposed to be one day. Now, you can have early voting, but the election results uh, stop at midnight on election day. And on election day at midnight, uh, guess what? Guess who won that election? Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. But and something happens after, in the middle of the night. Right, but, but was it constitutional? And how were these laws passed that allowed for this three-day extension? And remember, in Pennsylvania, Amy Coney Barrett never got her ninth vote. That never was the ninth vote. She didn't vote. She said she had to read up on it. And Alito said, segregate these ballots, and they didn't. And they said, save the declaration envelopes, and they didn't. And so there could very well be some really interesting... Uh, judgments at the Supreme Court level, we'll see. And so that we're working this vote both politically and we're working this uh, through the court systems. We're working all angle, angles here. But I, I think it's worth taking um, taking a look at what Yvonne Raiklin uh, is talking about because the Pence card could very well be real. We'll find out today whether or not Pence and Trump decide to throw out with this deadline today, throw out those votes and reject them and push them back to the states and ask the states to have their state legislatures uh, verify and look into some of the uh, alleged uh, abuse and the, and, the, and the sworn affidavits that some of the higher courts don't want to hear. And they, you know, rightfully in some respect, the, the Supreme Court is basically saying this is a this is a political process. This is a civil case. This is a political situation, and that the state legislatures need to take a look at it. And, and at, at that point, I say, 
Well, if the Democrats are going to uh, wear blue stripes and only blue stripes, then by God, why don't the Republicans wear red stripes and only red stripes? If that's the ge- that that's the way the game is played, and it's just a numbers thing where you're heads of cattle and you don't really even think anymore, and that seems to be the way the Democrats have been running the show, well then, fine, let's go ahead and take it like that. Give them back what they're giving to us. Let's give them back a little bit of muscle. Which means that someone like John Thune or uh, uh, you know Mitch McConnell need to stop, you know, worrying about their own personal finance and what China is going to do to their you know shipping business, and start doing right for the American people, which is what Donald Trump is doing with respect to this COVID thing and getting the things out the door. But in addition to that. Uh, also, getting to the get doing the right thing with regard to the American people, not giving money to what was it the the uh, study in a foreign country? It was studying transgenderism in Pakistan. <laughs> transgenderism. I mean, how is that million, helping it was anything? Ten million dollars. Yeah, and but 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 as I said earlier, they're not giving money to restaurants, which are small businesses. Yet they're studying that more money needs to go to the U.S. No, That's a where, lot more money. And you know what? The money that's going to the now, if you listen to Rand Paul, though. Um, you know, we don't have time to play all these clips, but what I am going to do is I am going to play the, this Rand Paul clip because I love the way he opens. All right, so let's just take a listen to this, and then we're going to listen to the President of the United States. Senator from Kentucky. Republicans like to mock modern monetary theory, the idea that government can print money with impunity, that government can spend whatever it wants without the need to tax. Modern monetary theory is basically the Dick Cheney, deficits don't matter crowd, trussed up with a new fancy title. Most Republicans rightly lampoon this quackery, that is, when they're not practicing the quackery themselves. Today, many of these same Republicans will vote for a bill that makes modern monetary theory look like child's play in comparison. The monster spending bill presented today is not just a deficits don't matter disaster, it is everything Republicans say they don't believe in. This bill is free money for everyone. Proponents don't care if you're fully employed or own your own house or own your own business. Free money for everyone, they cry. And yet, if free money were the answer, if money really grew on trees, why not give more free money? Why not give it out all the time? Why stop at $600 a person? Why not $1,000? Why not $2,000? Maybe these new free money Republicans should join the Everybody Gets a Guaranteed Income Caucus. Why not $20,000 a year for everybody? Why not $30,000? If we can print up money with impunity, why not do it? The Treasury can just keep printing the money. That is until someone points out that the emperor has no clothes and that the dollar no longer has value. To so-called conservatives who are quick to identify the socialism of Democrats, if you vote for this spending monstrosity, you are no better. When you vote to pass out free money, you lose your soul and you abandon forever any semblance of moral or fiscal integrity. 
So I like that. You know, that's, yeah. that says a mouthful. Now, yeah. there's about five more minutes of that. But yeah. well, I he, he, he's a talker. The, well, I want to cut away to the president. And he had two really powerful statements yesterday uh, that we're going to get to. But, you know, he, that was before it became 2000. And yeah. here's the kicker, folks. Okay, now listen up. This is actually re- really important. The kicker to the uh, 2000, I think this was a, a trap that was being set. And basically what happened was they came out with 600. Why didn't they come out with their best foot forward? They're negotiating, yeah. right? So next thing you know, President Trump says, I want 2000. And uh, Mitch, uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi called Trump's bluff on that. And they basically said, okay, we'll give you 2000. Why? Because hidden in the 5,000-plus page stimulus bill mm-hmm. is uh, this uh, uh, Insurrection Act, pow- to remove the Insurrection Act power away from the president. And this woman wrote so candidly, and she, she wrote so beautifully, Patty Hampton, she said, they think our freedom can be bought with $2,000. That stimulus bill should be a one-page long and should not include anything other than relief package for citizens. Congress is awfully excited at the prospect of taking away Trump's power concerning the Insurrection Act. No deal. We won't be fooled. And I like that. I think that's right. So we should not be fooled. This should be a one-page long document. It should be something that people can easily understand. It could be summarized in, in you know, an executive summary. You can't, it doesn't need to be, th- you know, thousands of pages. Right. And uh, Kelly Ward, given the Pence card, she said, pray for President Trump today. Uh, then also Kevin Sorbo. He wrote, this election reminds me of the time all the security cameras outside of Epstein's cell was shut down. So Lynn Wood wrote, when the communist globalist deep state try to sneak provision in funding bill nullifying real Donald Trump's power to invoke the Insurrection Act, you know they are planning an insurrection. Steady, be prepared, pray. In a 5,593-page stimulus bill is a provision that would nullify President Trump's power to invoke the Insurrection Act. wonder why they find that to be so important, huh? Why are they doing that? Um, also, uh, Chad Program wrote this. He wrote something kind of interesting. It's called a pocket veto. The president did not outright say he will veto the coronavirus government spending bill, but he very well could prevent it from being law via pocket veto. Pocket vetoes are very rare. Congress has to be the, in the proper parliamentary posture for the possibility to be in play. But he could very well be in those circumstances now. Under Article 1, Section 7 of the Constitution, the president has 10 days, Sundays excluded, to either sign or veto a bill. Keep in mind that because of the massive nature of the combo bill, the bill was not even, has not even been enrolled yet enrolled yet and sent to the president but here's where the pocket veto comes into play the latest uh the current congressional session can end is 11 59 59 a.m on january 3rd that is the drop dead time for the 116th congress the president may in fact effect veto 
a uh, the may in, in effect veto a bill by keeping it in the pocket and not signing it if he comes too close to the end of the congressional adjournment. Congress must adjourn uh, sign D pronounced sign E D and is Latin for leaving without a return date no later than 1159-59 January 3rd. In other words, Congress would have to get the president the bill by December 23rd to prevent a pocket veto. So they have to have to get it, get it today. There's a lot going on today, Leonor. Yeah, you know what else happened today? What's that? Uh, today, uh, William Barr is stepped down. Yes. Well, yeah, that is true. Yeah. yeah that is so. Uh, All right. So let's take a listen to this um, because what we're racing for is we got uh, Brent Hamachek coming on in about five minutes, and we got about fifteen minutes worth of uh, audio, close to it, about twelve. So we're going to go ahead and play this right now and see what happens. Uh, this is the first of two. We might play the COVID one second after Brent, um, but we're going to go ahead and play this one. This is the one. This is the clip that uh, real Donald Trump uh, posted. All right. Our President Donald Trump posted this and he talks about the entire election fraud case. I think it's beautiful the way he did it. And let's just go ahead and take a listen. Today, I want to explain to you why I am so determined to pursue every legal and constitutional option available to stop the theft of the presidential election. As president, one of my most solemn duties is to protect the integrity of your sacred right to vote. This year, using the virus as a pretext, Democrat officials in the key swing states illegally violated their own state laws in order to enable, encourage, and facilitate fraud on a scale never before seen in the history of our country. The truth is, we won the election by a landslide. We won it big. Today, I'm going to give you the facts that every American needs to know. Let's go back to the night of the election. By midnight, we had a commanding lead in the swing states. We won Florida by a record number of votes. We won Ohio by a record number of votes. And likewise, we won Iowa by 8.2 percent, far different than the false narrative portrayed in the media. We were up by 293,000 votes in Michigan, 112,000 votes in Wisconsin, 356,000 votes in Georgia, and nearly 700,000 votes in Pennsylvania, all swing states. These numbers were absolutely impossible for Joe Biden to overcome. And the Democrats knew it. And everybody forecasting knew it and understood it well. Our nation's greatest political professionals were calling to congratulate me on our victory. Then suddenly everything started to disappear. Everything started to change. The vote counting abruptly stopped in multiple states. In the middle of the night, a series of massive and statistically inconceivable vote dumps overturned the results in state after state. At 6.31 a.m., very early in the morning, Michigan suddenly reported 147,224 votes, 94 percent for Biden, 6 percent for Trump. At 4.42 a.m., Wisconsin reported 143,279 votes, 
almost all of them for Biden. A similar massive drop of ballots happened in Georgia at 1.34 a.m. Again, almost all of these votes for Biden. These gigantic and ridiculously one-sided spikes were miraculously just enough to push Joe Biden into the lead in all of the key swing states. These glaring anomalies are just the tip of the iceberg. We won 18 of 19 bellwether counties, a record, that have correctly predicted the winner of every presidential election for the last 40 years. We also won Ohio, Florida, and Iowa by historic margins, meaning Biden would be the first candidate since 1960 and only the second candidate in American history to win the White House while losing all three of those major states. And it wasn't even close. With Joe Biden at the top of the ticket, the Democrats lost 25 out of 26 toss-up House seats. That's a record. Democrats were projected to gain 15 seats, and instead, because of my success and coattails, as they call them, they lost 14 seats. So think of that. They were going to win big, and they ended up losing big. My campaign received more votes than any president in history. Almost 75 million people voted for me. We earned approximately 12 million more votes than we got in 2016, the largest vote increase for an incumbent president ever recorded. I also received the largest share of non-white voters of any Republican in over 60 years. In fact, we did better with African-American and Hispanic voters everywhere in the country, except for a small handful of corrupt Democrat-run cities in key swing states, places notorious for fraud, such as Milwaukee, Detroit, Atlanta, and Philadelphia, all run by Democrat machine politicians. No president has ever lost re-election while making such extraordinary gains across the board. There's never been anything like it. Yet despite all of this evidence of a thundering Trump victory and all of those projections all through the night, they want us to believe that Joe Biden, who seldom left his basement to campaign, somehow received 11.7 million more votes than Barack Obama, and he beat Barack Obama all over the country. It is historically, mathematically, politically, and logically impossible. It did not happen. He did not win. We won by a landslide. Over the past seven weeks, we have put forth abundant evidence proving how the Democrats perpetrated this monstrous fraud on the American people and, indeed, the world. First, we have shown that officials in virtually every key swing state brazenly violated their own state laws in order to change election procedures, eliminate safeguards, promote fraud, and illegally benefit Joe Biden. And legislatures, which have to make the changes, were seldom, if ever, used. For example, Pennsylvania's radical Democrat Secretary of State suspended all signature verification requirements, breaking Pennsylvania law, not to mention the big and very illegal ballot drops. In Michigan, the Secretary of State, a Democrat, illegally flooded the state with absentee ballot applications, even though Michigan law strictly limits the distribution of absentee ballots. In Wisconsin, the major Democrat cities deployed over 500 unmanned, unsecured ballot drop boxes 
that were blatantly illegal, paving the way for unlawful ballot harvesting and tremendous fraud. In Georgia, the Secretary of State began illegally processing ballots weeks before Election Day and also destroyed the signature verification systems in violation of the law. Many other horrible things were done in Georgia. These actions alone were more than enough to rig the election results for Democrats. Second, the absentee ballot rejection rates proved that hundreds of thousands of illegitimate ballots were counted in the key states. This was sufficient to change the election results all on its own. In 2016, 6.4% of mail-in ballots were rejected in Georgia. This year, fewer than a tiny percentage of 1% were rejected. So you went all the way down, a difference of more than 30 times. The same phenomenon occurred in Pennsylvania and other states. They were accepting all of these ballots, many of which were absolutely illegal. In a year in which the number of mail-in ballots was the highest ever, the rejection rate was magically the lowest ever, and it wasn't even close. The only possible explanation is that tens of thousands of ballots were unlawfully processed and counted. Most Americans would be shocked to learn that in no swing state is there any meaningful attempt to verify citizenship, residency, identity, or eligibility for mail-in ballots. The potential for illegal activity is unlimited, and that's what we just experienced. Third, hundreds and hundreds of witnesses have come forward to testify under penalty of perjury about the cheating and fraud they saw with their own eyes. Witnesses have sworn that they saw poll workers illegally backdating thousands of ballots, counting batches of the same ballots many times, and unloading boxes and boxes of ballots, all bearing the same signature, and all for Joe Biden. Other witnesses have testified to seeing thousands of so-called pristine ballots with no creases or folds, all voting for Biden. When you have no fold, it means it wasn't mailed. It means it was a fraud. Republican poll watchers were denied critical access as hundreds of thousands of votes were counted in Democrat-run cities in the essential states. There is even security camera footage from Georgia that shows officials telling poll watchers to leave the room before pulling suitcases of ballots out from under the tables and continuing to count for hours. The reason they were forced to leave the room is they said there was a major water main break. The water main break never happened. There was no water main break. In many cases, Republican poll watchers were physically removed from rooms. In addition, there is the deeply troubling matter of Dominion voting systems. In just one Michigan county alone, 6,000 votes were switched from Trump to Biden. Wow. Okay. That's pretty amazing stuff, right? Yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Leonor, we have uh, a really wonderful guest on. We've had him on before, Brent Hamachek. Brent Hamachek comes to us from Human Events. Brent, welcome uh, to the Scott Adams Show. Sorry for the wait. No, I uh, first of all, it's it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I think if, uh, you're, if, if you're playing... 
if you're playing a speech like that, uh, I think that it's probably okay to, to put me on deck <laughs> and, and not up next uh, or, or in the batter's box. So it's yeah. all good. Yeah. So um, tell us, uh, you know, you come to us from Human Events, and uh, there's some exciting new changes that are going on over there, and we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about um, uh, President Trump's position right now and also this uh, stimulus bill. So the, at Human Events, the, the story we have uh, that came out uh, about a week and a half ago is that we have Jeff Webb, the founder of Varsity Brands, the international cheerleading uh, organization that really took the activity of cheerleading decades ago and turned it into an Olympic sport today. And uh, Jeff's the founder. Uh, it's a, sort of the classic entrepreneur story. He founded the company in his uh, apartment, although the real classic story with entrepreneurs is they typically do it in their garage, but we'll forgive that inconsistency and uh, built it into a multi-billion dollar international organization. And now he is taking that entrepreneurial spirit, literally spirit, uh, that built a successful company, and he's bringing that into the world of ideas and public policy. And I think that this is very exciting because to have a successful entrepreneur, I mean, we know a little bit about business people now stepping into the world of politics, right? We just, uh, we just had four great years of that in the White House. But to have somebody come into this world, uh, and Jeff will be the co-publisher of Human Events along with Will Chamberlain and the senior news editor, to have somebody come into this world that has the positive energy of entrepreneurship and knows how to build as opposed to tear down, which is really all we get anymore in the world of politics. Uh, to have somebody step in and be able to build things, create things, inspire people, motivate people, get them to change beliefs and try new things, uh, that's a giant addition to the American political landscape. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of it on the news side with him. Uh, we have some big things coming in uh, 2021, some exciting partnerships with folks that will join us. Um, and I think that for your listeners, starting to put human events in their list of favorite links or on their desktop uh, could be a very, very good choice. Well, that's that's great that you have somebody who's now the co-publisher who's not from the swamp. Does that mean that there's going to be more uh, sports and more talk, more talk about um, how we can get the American spirit back into sports and get rid of all this uh, taking a knee and all of that? You know, that's a great question. Nobody's asked anything like that. I suspect uh, that with uh, Jeff's interest in the world of competition, that it is something that we would look at covering, um, I would say, more often. Right now, you know, we're, we're new at the new side of human events. We haven't really done any of what you're talking about at all yet, Leonora, but uh, certainly I could see us looking at those angles. And again, his view is all about trying to get people to look forward look at where you want to be, and then find positive ways to get there. So we're, we're living in this culture right now where all we seem to do is criticize the other guy. Mm -hmm. And that goes for everybody. And nobody's doing a very good job of reaching the other guy. And if we're going to avoid you know, all this, the, the great speech you just played on all this election fraud that just took place, 
you know, the best way to neutralize election fraud is to make elections so they're not close enough to be able to cheat. And there's a giant group of Americans out there, a large group, 40 million or more, who voted for Joe Biden this past November who actually don't even know why they did. Those people are reachable, and they need to be reached with the right kind of message, something that actually makes them feel like they're buying something that somebody's selling that's worth having. And that's what we're going to try to do. Uh, so we, we want to look for converts. Wow, that's good. Yeah, that's great. And, um, you know, there's a lot of other issues that we talk about right now. We're consumed with COVID and politics, uh, COVID and, and election fraud. Um, but, you know, uh, the, the issue, uh, one of the big issues in sports for me isn't about, you know, social justice. It, it's really about transgender uh, sports ruining it for women sports and you know i think that's a that's another big frontier issue that's going to have to be addressed especially if our country starts shifting more left wing uh where those types of things are endorsed uh, so we're, we're going to cover that down the road but that that does gr- greatly concern me because i think that the one of the best things that's happened for women is women athletics uh at the olympic level and and beyond and although i'm not a big fan of title nine i do believe that there's been some aspects of title nine that have contributed to women empowerment and women athletics uh and uh but you know from a a perspective of college sports uh where i support wrestling and wrestling's actually been a victim of title nine uh we just need to do better in terms of a lot of this other things but that's sports Um, but we we're here to talk about um, some of the other issues of the day, and one of the big issues right now is the uh, stimulus bill. And I think you, you, you had mentioned to me that you wanted to talk about that as well. Well, I, look, I, um, first of all, when, um, when I saw what was in the bill, I, I, like probably all of your listeners, was, was just simply appalled by it. And I, and I, I wasn't just appalled. I mean, it, it was almost on some level uh, personally devastating and because to take a look at what they did and and charlie kirk for whom i uh, your listeners probably know i've uh worked with in the past in the early days of turning point charlie kirk had the greatest tweet on this that anybody's had it was very simple very to the point it basically said if you're an american who's been unemployed for 10 months your government's going to give you six hundred dollars and if you're a transgender study program in Pakistan, you get $10 million. <laughs> and then he said, the people that you've elected to represent it, represent you actually hate you. And, and that's the message. And here's how clear the message is. I was in a local grocery store yesterday uh, here in the Chicago area where I live, and I had a, a young uh, gentleman who stocked shelves at the grocery store. He waved at me. I had no idea uh, why he was waving. He motioned me to talk to him. I have no idea how he knows even what I do for a living. But he comes up to me, this guy that stocks shelves, and he said, hey, I, I see they're they putting through this stimulus bill. And I said, yeah, that's, you know, that's what's happening. And, and he said, boy, I'm disappointed. It sure seems like they really don't care about regular people like me. This is a fellow in a grocery store in sub- suburban Chicago who gets it, right, who gets it perhaps right. better than than most of our legislators. And that's how deep it runs. But the speech that Trump gave yesterday, 
The last time we heard a speech that good, William Wallace gave it in a movie. And before that, we have to go back to Reagan, and before that, we have to go to Churchill. Trump's right. speech yesterday was extraordinary in laying out the case as to why this bill has to have a do-over. Right. Now, and I thought um, it was, uh, quite did, frankly, uh, very inspiring. Did you hear his COVID piece of that speech? Yes. Okay, because uh, that's the part I want to play for our audience. I, 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 uh, I'm gonna, I was, I think I'm gonna play it after we get done here, um, and you may want to take a listen to it, or if you want to um, listen to it with us, uh, just it's up to you, however you want to do that. But and comment on it. Um, it's a four minute. Play the play the clip so your audience is is up to date, and then let's okay. Let's All right, it. so we're gonna go ahead and play this clip. It's uh, President Trump. It's four minutes. Uh, what this is about is he's talking about the COVID bill and why he's planning on vetoing it. And we talked earlier, uh, Brent, in the show about the pocket veto and the potential for that. Chad Perming, Pergman from Fox News uh, put something out that was interesting about that. Um, and also, we also talked a little bit about how they slipped in. They, they renegotiated from 600 to 2,000. Uh, but then they also slipped in this Insurrection Act uh, uh, removal kit, you know, to, to depower, de detooth uh, President Trump when it came to the Insurrection Act, too, which is kind of something well, that Lynn Wood had been floating. Well, to, yeah, look, to, to be clear on that, if, if I could, uh, I... I don't believe for a moment, not for a moment, that the Insurrection Act was ever going to be involved uh, or invoked, excuse me, by the president. This this is the stuff of sort of urban legends, right. which we've now uh, converted into social media legends, just like the uh, information that is circulating today about the vice president being able to sort of stop the steal yeah, the uh, through action on the fourth Wednesday. Yes. And I mean, uh, look, uh, not only can that not happen, it's not going to happen. There's two different things. He's not going to do anything. And even if he does, he de the vice president, to be clear, does not have the power under um, United States Code uh, Title III. He does not have the power to reverse essentially an election he doesn't no no no. So uh, it's an and i don't think that's take but i, I think Ratcliffe Ratcliffe was um uh pointing to another piece of uh u.s code but let's go ahead and take a listen to the COVID part okay well, here we go okay and and influence the election then a few months ago congress started negotiations on a new package to get urgently needed help to the american people it's taken forever However, the bill they are now planning to send back to my desk is much different than anticipated. It really is a disgrace. For example, among the more than 5,000 pages in this bill, which nobody in Congress has read because of its length and complexity, it's called the COVID relief bill, but it has almost nothing to do with COVID. This bill contains $85.5 million for assistance to Cambodia. $134 million to Burma, $1.3 billion for Egypt and the Egyptian military, which will go out and buy almost exclusively Russian military equipment. 
$25 million for democracy and gender programs in Pakistan. $505 million to Belize, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Panama. $40 million for the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., which is not even open for business. $1 billion for the Smithsonian and an additional $154 million for the National Gallery of Art. Likewise, these facilities are essentially not open. $7 million for reef fish management, $25 million to combat Asian carp, $2.5 million to count the number of amberjack fish in the Gulf of Mexico, a provision to promote the breeding of fish in federal hatcheries, $3 million in poultry production technology, $2 million to research the impact of down trees, $566 million for construction projects at the FBI. The bill also allows stimulus checks for the family members of illegal aliens, allowing them to get up to $1,800 each. This is far more than the Americans are given. Despite all of this wasteful spending and much more, the $900 billion package provides hardworking taxpayers with only $600 each in relief payments. And not enough money is given to small businesses, and in particular restaurants, whose owners have suffered so grievously they were only given a deduction for others to use in business their restaurant for two years. This two-year period must be withdrawn, which will allow the owners to obtain financing and get their restaurants back in condition. Congress can terminate it at a much later date, but two years is not acceptable. It's not enough. Congress found plenty of money for foreign countries, lobbyists, and special interests while sending the bare minimum to the American people who need it. It wasn't their fault. It was China's fault, not their fault. I am asking Congress to amend this bill and increase the ridiculously low $600 to $2,000 or $4,000 for a couple. I'm also asking Congress to immediately get rid of the wasteful and unnecessary items from this legislation and to send me a suitable bill, or else the next administration will have to deliver a COVID relief package, and maybe that administration will be me, and we will get it done. Thank you. Maybe it will. Maybe maybe it will. So, Brent, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? It's a, a lot of um, well, that, America's second, it seems like. <laughs> right, right. And that is, by the way, when I refer to the, the speech you gave and being inspiring, that is the segment that I was referring to. And mm-hmm. that's why I thought it was good that, that you yeah. took the time to play it. Uh, I, I was struck not only by the content of it and the clarity of it. I was struck by something else. I couldn't help but wonder yesterday as I listened to that. Uh, what might have been the case uh, in November if over the last four years we had heard more speeches from the president like that? So he was, he certainly didn't, uh, uh, you know, dance around the bush a bit at all in terms of making clear just how egregiously bad this bill was, right? But he did it in a way that was so methodical 
not personal against uh, the members of Congress, but very personal for the American citizens who were being harmed by it. And we just didn't get enough of that from him. There are ways in which this president uh, was his own worst enemy. Uh, you know, he's, he's a great guy to be able to resonate with people, but he's not a great communicator. And that seems to be a contradiction, but it's not. Because a communicator is, is able to reach people that he doesn't necessarily resonate with yeah, but uh, naturally. It, right? would, it would be, and, it, certainly, um, it, it, certainly, it certainly would be real nice if they didn't spy on his campaign and try to cover it up with the mm -hmm. whole force of the FBI and the uh, crooked DOJ. Um, you know, come on. I mean, the, the, the amount of arrows that were shot at this guy uh, was like no other. They, look at what they're doing with uh, Joe Biden right now. I mean, Joe Biden, they're asking him, you know, what color ice cream he likes. And uh, anytime they ask him anything about substance or anything legitimately uh, questionable, uh, whether it's uh, his misdealings with uh, foreign foreign countries or his son, um, you know, he, he doesn't answer them at all. He just treats them like they're peasants. Well, right, and that's going to be interesting when the American people who voted for him, who have no idea, no idea what Joe Biden uh, really has going on with, with him right now yeah. uh, within himself, when they actually start to see it. I mean, we're in the Christmas season, but I'm going to invoke Easter. Forgive them, Father. They know not what they've done. And I think that there are going to be a whole lot of Americans when Joe Biden is unable to hide in the White House. I mean, this isn't the Woodrow Wilson era. You can't hide a decrepit president. And people are going to see his true condition, and they're going to say, wow, I had no idea. Right. And uh, that will, by the way, provide us an opportunity to reach those people with positive messages and ideas and get them to maybe start to think differently, which brings us back to to my friend Jeff Webb. And, and by the way, before we do run out of time, I want to make sure I mention Jeff has also launched a new organization called Middle Class Warriors. Okay. Uh, you can find it at middleclasswarriors.com. He has a new book that will be coming out in a couple of weeks called American Restoration, where he lays out his positive solutions for 13 different areas of American uh, politics and policy. So you're going to you're going to see a guy that uh, people outside the world of cheerleading perhaps weren't as familiar with. You're going to see a whole lot of folks become very familiar with him in a very short period of time. Wow, it sounds it sounds impressive. It, it really does, and we're going to keep an eye on it. Um, but uh, Brent Hamachek, thank you so much for spending time with the Scott Adams Show. It's always a delight. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry Merry Christmas. I hope I hope they don't take you off the air, Scott and Leonora, for saying Merry Christmas. But uh if they do blame me, it's all my fault. Yeah. So have a very, very blessed uh holiday. Absolutely. Take care. God bless. Whoops, right. I just pinched myself. I'm still here. Yeah, that's yeah. it. So, you know, there's a lot going on today. We're gonna to do a bit of a recap here. Um but uh, this national file, uh, this national file thing, it, it does seem to me like it's a little bit of an out, out, outside shot. Yeah. And it really just remains to be seen. And what we're here to do is report the news. Okay. So, like, you know, if, if Rack, Rackland, Rackland uh, 
who's a constitutional attorney, mm-hmm. is saying that this could happen. He's basically saying this could happen, yeah. right? And that Pence could do this. And there, there is this trend going around called the Pence card yeah. that says that Pence... Uh, and the only reason why it's happening today is because today's the deadline. Yeah. And it's written in the books for a reason. You know, it's not like it's, you know, we're just putting stuff there, you know, and making stuff up. And that's the part that's the the kicker. So it says, from the America, the memo, Article 2, Section 1 of the U.S. Constitution requires that each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors. Therefore, the par- papers or slates, uh, they call them, the states attempted to submit to the president of the Senate and archivist of the United States are not legal permissible certificate, certificates of votes and lists by electors as recited by Title Three USC Section 9 and 11. Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin violated the U.S. Constitution, Article 2, Section 1, Cl- uh, Clause 2, and 14th Amendment, Section 1, Equal Protection Clause, in administering their elections, therefore rendering their slates impermissible. So what they're making the argument is saying is it very well could be that Pence would be in violation of the law if he didn't do anything. Um, and uh, when it rains, it pours from Chicago. We got John uh, John on the uh, line. John, welcome to the Scott Adams Show. Hey, Guys, Merry Christmas! First Merry of all. Christmas! Merry Christmas! Hey, two quick things. I know uh, Brent was on there, and just to second your point regarding the president, he is constantly getting interrupted by reporters. He is constantly having to do his own PR because he's not getting any help from his alleged uh, his alleged uh, friends in Congress. At least, not enough help. So it's as if you're fighting five guys, and then someone says afterwards. Yeah, you really didn't get a good blow-in in any of those guys. Well, you know what? You're trying to fend off five guys. All you're trying to do is just keep yourself free. Yeah. It's just not uh, a situation. It's not easy to communicate when you're not getting the platform to do so, when you're constantly censored or constantly interrupted, constantly attacked. He's having to defend himself as much as he is, explain his agenda, number one. So the president's a much better communicator than people give him credit for. I agree. One. Number two. Uh, regarding Biden, you know, remember when presidential candidates were supposed to release their medical records? I don't recall, and I, I certainly could be wrong, but I don't recall him releasing his full medical record because it's obvious he suffered a decline. And the rumor I heard, and this is just a rumor I read, I should say, is that he's on Namenda, which is a dementia drug. It's an anti-dementia drug called Namenda. I don't know if you heard that story, but did they release his medical records? I don't know. Medical record. But we're up against the break. And did you hear when he said something about he he gets lots of shots? He's used to it when he got his vaccine. Biden? (laughs) Yeah, he did. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Well, we're up against the hard break uh, at the end of the show here. But, John, thank Thank you so much for calling in. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You too. All right. Take care. Bye-bye now. And with that, my name is Scott Adams. My name is Leonor Cravetta. And you're listening to The Scott Adams Show. Be sure to check out scottadamshow.com for the YouTube page and for our podcasts. And we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye now. Grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to there.